are listening to the Brand Architect Podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hey, hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brand Architect Podcast. Um, I'm, I'm really happy that you're over. Um, so we have several people already watching the live stream. Some of you will be watching the replay or listening to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. So thanks a lot for showing up. Uh, let's bring up our guest. Um, Timothy per- uh, Peterson is over. Welcome, Timothy. Well, thank uh, you so much. Again, another person whom I met on on LinkedIn. I, I know that by now everyone knows that this is where I'm getting my guests uh, from most of the time. So um, we got connected uh, a while ago and I'm re- really happy to have you over. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you so much for accommodating my time since I'm in New York and uh, you are not. <laughs> And I am not. Yeah, true. But, um, you know, uh, remote work, um, future of work, pandemic, all that kind of changed the concept of time and geography and everything else. So uh, I guess uh, it doesn't really matter anymore where we are. <laughs> so. I, I guess not. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, I feel like we're in the same space in a ter- in terms that we're both marketing professionals and we both work in the technology sphere. And the way I see ourselves is we're kind of bridging the the tech and its users and trying to translate everything into human language and human stories, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of a challenging task sometimes. Um, so, uh, so let's follow your journey from the very beginning. Like the, I presume the first time you started uh, sort of dealing with technology related things was when you joined the dot-com tech startup was was that the time you No, it was actually uh much earlier than that i started a uh, tech business pre-internet when i was in college in the 1980s uh, i actually wow. uh, it's a long time ago uh but uh, it was right at the time that apple came out with its original mac and uh, the laser printer was invented and uh, I started a desktop publishing business, uh, you know, just really uh, getting all kinds of great projects out of my dorm room and paying for that very expensive printer with all of the work that I did. So it was a, a great intro into uh, that into tech, actually. Oh, wow. Interesting. OK, so so that's where you started and you you've been in, in the tech since then. So um, it's interesting, like. Obviously, the tech really evolves and and it moves very fast. Uh, if you had to pick just one major shift since the time you started, what would that be? Well, I, I think I would have to say the internet, but but really, when I when I talk with people about this, I usually say that one of the biggest changes uh, is the pace of change. You know that people uh-huh. have to understand that things move very quickly it's not generationally it's not over a couple years it's not over you know whatever time frame things are much much tighter and quicker now you really have to always be innovating uh and mm-hmm. i think that's my biggest tech lesson that uh, you know i've learned over the years okay and do you think like marketing is changing at the same pace or it's falling a little bit behind and yeah. is there any kind of you know big major changes apart from the you know the technology we use and the the data that you know more data availability at this point 
in in some ways, uh, marketing is kind of coming full circle. I think that a lot of the best marketing from decades ago was very mm. personal. Uh, you know, or sales was very personal. You know, a human knew another human, treated mm -hmm. them in a very personal way, uh, and that interaction yeah. meant something. And to another point where there's that personalization again as a major priority, and the tech is available to make help us make it happen. Okay, yeah. Uh, the challenge, though, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like the challenge is. Uh, personalization using tech in such a way that it doesn't look very artificial because sometimes when, when when many people use the same personalization tactics it still doesn't feel personal like for example on, on linkedin when people are approaching you they all use the same similar phrases right like we have common interests or you know uh, let's connect or i need 15 minutes of your time or whatever it is and although it kind of feels personal but you know that all they did was just change the first name right but i think that there are are levels to this it's uh, not necessarily about one-to-one -one personalization uh, i mean an mm -hmm. example is that you know I, I work for a sports tech startup but i also uh, advise some startups in health and wellness and fashion and beauty and some other areas and in those areas it, it really is about what the communities are and this is, of course, something that people who are really into social media understand. It's all about community. You know, you you find your core group that has the same passions that you do. And so it could be personalization really at that level, at that like micro community level. Uh, that's a major, major you know change in marketing really in the last just few years, because before that, you know, you were still doing things like personas, right? or, or yeah. what have you, you're coming up with these groupings that maybe made sense, but didn't necessarily make sense. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I, I love that you mentioned communities. I'm like a really big advocate of creating genuine communities around you because I, I feel like it's so powerful that, you know, if you had to just get one achievement, uh, just having that would lead to so many other things that, you know, you'd, you'd rather pick that one because there are so many things coming after that. Uh, but probably that's also one of the most difficult things to do in marketing. I mean, because at least many are struggling to, to get to a point where they can gather um, people around them with a genuine relationship. Well, I, I think, uh, and you know, I'm so glad you said genuine relationship right at the end of what you were just saying, because that's that's a core of what I talk about to other people I work with is that you, how do you, you just have to keep asking, how are you building a genuine relationship or, mm -hmm. or why don't you have a genuine relationship? And this is something that's useful for B2B or B2C companies. It's like, if you don't talk about that, internally on a regular basis you're not really gonna have the success that you could right you got to figure out what it is that that drives people for your product or your service and build that genuine connection that relationship that will ultimately drive sales but of course it's not all about sales right i mean you've got to have a relationship independent of just like give me money 
right? You know, because that's... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The non-transactional relationships. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. And it's it's interesting. It's it's nice that you mentioned B2B because I'm sometimes getting counter-arguments from many people in the B2B space saying that, yes, but communities and relationships and being intimate with your audience is not really so needed in the B2B space because uh, it's not sort of, you know, we, we don't really need that. We can get away without it. Uh, what do you think about that? I, mean, I think do you agree? they're wrong. I think they're wrong, Annie, when I say that. Uh, you know, I have, a, I have a podcast of my own called The Hard Truth uh, about B2B e-commerce, right? And The Hard Truth, you know, with my co-host, uh, you know, is the CEO of a company called Trellis. Uh, you know, we talk about this all the time with our guests. It's really like, how is B2B different or not from B2C? And, you know, community building and, and having a genuine relationship is important, you know, to B2B. And a lot of the most successful businesses that we've talked to, are, you know, are happy to share those experiences. So you could try, you know, to uh, to do it without, but it's why, you know, don't you want to be, don't you want to be part of something, right? You want to be, if you're selling LED lighting or pipes or anything, don't you want to be part of a community or communities that, that, really want to buy your product and know more about your product and help you develop more product. Yeah. Uh, th that's a good point because I, I think that, you know, when you get the direct connection and direct relationship, you get the feedback, you get the insights, you just, you know, all you have to do is go to the community and just pay attention because yeah. they are willingly sharing so much information that you you will probably not be able to get through marketing research and surveys and, you know, focus groups. So it's it's reflecting the, the natural kind of environment that the, they, they feel so much uh, safer to, to share their viewpoints. So all you have to be is just be around and observe and and pay attention i guess well one one thing i would add too is you use again i love picking up on things that you're saying because we're thinking alike in some ways here right now when you say safer right i, I mean i have heard from you know clients of mine who are b2b say well it's just safer to continue doing what we're doing right i mean that's mm -hmm. interesting too and I say, no, 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 you know, it's not, it's not, don't look at it that way. It's not safer to continue the way it was. It's much safer to look at what people are doing and try to move forward with those people and continue to build new communities. Cause you know, I, I am not a young person. I mean, just by mentioning to you that I had a desktop publishing business gives that away. I'm but, not either. So no worries. But, you know, <laughs> but I keep going. Right. I mean, it, to me, I, I, I want, to see what is happening at all times. I want to learn, I want to keep learning. And I think that businesses need to do that. Otherwise, you know, why do you want to be stuck? You know, unless you have some sort of a museum or something, I don't know. Why do you want to be like uh, in the past? Well, I think it's the same logic of sticking to the comfort zone, uh, where you sort of, you know, it feels safe. It's, it's uh, comfortable. You already now know how things operate and, you know, there is no need for growing pains. So you just stick around the way you did all the time. And it's, it's, it's easier, right? It's, it's kind mm -hmm. of, uh, and, and people are lazy by nature. So, uh, it, the temptation is there obviously yes. so um and also especially for i, I don't know i mean I, it, it may be i mean i may get accused of ageism although i'm old as well but i have a feeling that especially in the further career 
has when you already kind of you know have been around for quite a long time you don't want to risk trying new things because you know the failure may be more painful or you may be thinking that you're going to lose more by by making a mistake at that stage of your career you're you're right uh, but i have to say the uh you know the covid-19 crisis has made a lot of people question that uh, you know people have had restaurants and resisted advertising them online until the crisis came or resisted having deliveries of their product or you know i i don't want to you know get that specific necessarily in everything but i was talking mm-hmm. to somebody who owned a barbershop and uh, you know he never knew who his customers were he had no idea who they were because they showed up and you know they they had their appointments and they left right they had their haircuts and they left now you know during this crisis he scrambled he put you know ads uh, ads up a website up set up an appointment system that was really difficult for him to figure out because he'd never uh-huh. done any of it he just said he was going to continue in the way he'd always continued you know so that's that's the risk right that that something comes oh, yeah. up Yeah and and in terms of risk I'm I'm like I'm very opportunistic person so the opportunity risk is something that is a risk to me as well just you know missing out the opportunities I'd rather try it out and and know for sure that it doesn't work after I've tried it out then always go back and think oh if I had done it you know um that's that was the thing that i missed out right so uh and i think with covid and and at these uh sort of period we are at loads of opportunities emerged where when you look around people who actually jumped on it and people who actually acted without overthinking mm-hmm. were the ones who 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 made some amazing things and uh you know who even grew their businesses in 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 the times of crisis like i i know um yoga instructors who started going online and got access to a more global audience and you know they are not limited to geography anymore they are not paying rent of their studio and things like that and eventually they started serving more people and making more money as a result of the whole thing but like those who are not comfortable taking risks and figuring things out and just trying to see how it would work those just close the studios and you know are are kind of way behind at the moment so um so the same with marketing like things are changing a lot and always the new things are emerging uh but it all can it can also be overwhelming because there are too many new things coming at the same time like if if a marketing professional or you know if if this podcast is specifically for tech startup founders who are who may not specifically be marketing professionals but you know want to learn enough to at least know how to approach the main things right um how do you choose like you know what to pick you know how do you monitor what's going on and and uh, how to choose you can't really try everything no you, you can't you're, you're you're absolutely right i mean and it's it's it, let's again it's about risk right if you are a new business if you're a tech startup you you don't want to be spending all of your time trying out 25 different things that's that's not going to be practical for you as a yeah. young relatively small maybe underfunded you know or, or lightly funded startup you, you really yeah. i usually tell people to 
kind of pick two or three things and focus in on, and again, this is true for products or services, but you focus in on what are you doing for awareness, right? You know, if you're going to pick one of the three things, you've got to make sure people are aware of who you are, right? And then you move over to whatever people call that next phase, but consideration, you know, where there's some knowledge, but you're comparing, you're saying, well, is it this product as good as this one? Or what does it do different from this one? Or, or same for service. And then the third is, you know, that conversion piece, something that's much more detailed for people who have already moved through the other two steps. So I usually start people in that conversation and I say, okay, what are we doing for awareness? Then we pick something really sensible. And then what are we doing for consideration for that phase? And then what are we doing for conversion, making sure people are actually going to buy something or sign up for something or what have you. So that's how I boil it down is try to get it into those three buckets. And then we start making other choices, right? Like what, what makes sense is email marketing or paid search, or is it all going to be on Instagram? I mean, you know, there are a lot of choices depending on what type of product or service it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you started from the hardest part for me specifically, uh, when you have to choose only one or two. <laughs> or even three, you know, um, because it, it's always hard to to sort of niche down. And I totally understand the, the benefits of niching down, right? Because uh, obviously it works way better. It's much easier to make decisions uh, and it's much easier to make choices once you know, like that one small niche that you are serving, obviously. Uh, and it's always nicer to start and then go broader. But mm-hmm. it's always so hard to pick that one like that niche so how how do you like how do you go about it when you have to start from the very beginning and you have to make the the fundamental choices what are the parameters you're looking into a a couple things so uh i'll give maybe two examples that are kind of different just to see if this makes sense so one of those is like a um a consumer product being sold Mm -hmm. b2c uh, and it is a, it's a beauty product. So it's primarily focused on women, but it's a skincare product. So this is, I don't want to name the company because I haven't. Yeah, of course. Them, it doesn't but, matter. Yeah, sure. But it's, it's a skincare product primarily yeah. for women, but really men could buy it too. It's primarily for women. So they had other products, but this was the main product that they wanted to really feature as a young business and really get out in the world. Mm-hmm. So what, what I did and what I had people work on is just defining like, okay, if this is it, then what else is there out in the marketplace right now? What are those people responding to? Is it women 25 to 44 who do these things, right? So it's really figuring out based on what their most likely success was. I think mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it. It's like, let's, we're yeah. starting here. What is most likely? Like you got other great stuff. But we got to get to that phase two and phase three, even if that means a few months down the line, right? Yeah. So I, that's how I focused that whole conversation and got things moving. And just so you have this information that we can talk about, the other business is really the one that I'm in now. It's a sports startup, right? And it's B2B and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a service. It's SaaS, you know, it's software as a service. So, yeah. you know, we ha- we're it's licenses, right? You know, we're selling is you know subscriptions to uh, this service to people mm-hmm. who do sports sponsorship decisions, right? Completely okay. different kinds of businesses, completely different 
Yet, we're doing almost the same sort of approach. We're saying, well, all right, who are really the top three sorts of people who are going to buy this product and why? You know, why are mm -hmm. they interested in, in these subscriptions? What, yeah. you know, what's it solving for them? And then zeroing in, you know, what is it to make them aware we exist? to comp compare us to anything else that's in the market and to get them to sign up, right? So it, it follows the same path, even though one's consumer and a product and the other is yeah. B2B and a service. Okay, uh, uh, a question though, uh, sponsorships, sports sponsorships, like how, how much did COVID impacted the whole thing? Because oh. I feel like that, that whole space has had major shifts, at least for now, right? It's, With it's the season that was crazy to live through this. It really is. But a couple things that I think all of our viewers and, and listeners will understand. One is that, you know, with the pause, people did a couple things. People were sport lovers. A lot of them went to esports. you know, they're playing, they're gaming and they're online. And so there are many, many, uh, you know, esports sponsorship opportunities. So that's something that is real and ongoing. That's one mm -hmm. thing. The yep. second thing is that everything that is connected to in-person live sports, uh, people are reevaluating all those sponsorship deals because it's big money over multiple years. So they need somebody to get into the data and to say, yeah. well, here are the options and should I be sponsoring an athlete versus a team versus a league, you know, and, and so on, right? So it really becomes, uh, you would think that it would have gotten like dead quiet or something, but it didn't. Uh, it's something that we made us like evaluate exactly how we're focusing, but there's a lot going on. So it transformed into a different place, but it's still there and, and there is still money put in. And exactly. Still okay, yeah, got exactly. it. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, what about, um, what are your views on personal brands? Because like we spoke about B2C, we spoke about B2B. There are loads of so-called online solopreneurs who are building their personal brands and then either from the very beginning or later on monetizing um, that brand name or, you know, monetizing their uh, audience um, and, and, you know, putting something out there. Uh, is this um, process of choosing similar to what you described or there are some specifics for personal brands? I think there are specifics for personal brands. It's a little, a little bit different. And for one of the reasons I think there are is that, um, you know, as, a, as an individual, you have a couple choices you need to make that are independent of how the market treats you, right? I mean, that's something mm -hmm. that's a little different. First of all, do you want to be known as a personality which is, you know, a certain type of thing, or do you want to be known as an expert in one, two, or three things, right? Okay. Those are very different for online brands, for individuals. So a personal it brand. Combined. It's either one or the other, you think? You can combine them, but in my experience, a lot of people kind of come out as like, they are the big speaker on a certain topic, or they have a certain personality and they're invited everywhere. However, they may not have like the depth of expertise of some other people in, let's just say e-commerce. I'll just pick something, right? So finding an expert in e-commerce who then creates a personal brand around that to show off their expertise is different than somebody who goes in the other route and wants oh, yeah. to really be known as a personality first and then 
they show off whatever they want to be talking about or they feel like they can talk about a lot of different topics right yeah or some influencers and gurus don't even get to the second stage they just stay as personality it's just faking stuff yeah (laughs) i mean because you know i've worked with influencers since the very beginning really and i'm a big fan of people who are passionate and authentic and all those things you know that people talk about that makes them successful but mm-hmm. if you are simply in it for the game or trying to mm-hmm. be just the biggest influencer with and only talking about how big your following is or all those sorts of things, to me, that's not useful to anybody but you, right? I mean, that's not really valuable, right? I, I love people who give value out to the world for health or for food or for travel or, you know, all these things. I love it. I absolutely love it. Those people are great influencers, and I want to see them succeed. But if you're just like, look at my following. You're just talking, and I'm I'm just recalling different LinkedIn profiles where in description it says 30,000 connections or or followers or whatever, like 100K followers and whatever. And, And... to me, like, you know, we've, we've, we can look beyond data, right? We can understand the, the meaning of certain numbers and, and the not so important numbers behind it, right? So it, it all depends on how relevant those 30,000 people are. It all depends on how engaged they are and how, Absolutely. you know, with how many do you actually have relationship? Like with how many have you spoken? Uh, because what I'm trying to do, and I know it's not scalable and probably I don't even want that to be scalable uh, because then you're losing the intimacy and you're losing the quality of your relationship because after a certain point, you just can't scale it so well. But, um, you know, if, if you have several thousand of followers or connections, uh, periodically, like I just slowed down 20 minutes of my time just to go back and talk to a few of them, mm-hmm. just to, to get it, the feel and understand who they are. Like how did uh, in the, on the earth did they find me? Like, did they see, like, which post did they see and, and why did they decide to follow or whatever, right? Because uh, not only for, you know, for later on some decision-making uh, perspective in terms of what kind of content to produce later on, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, what your audience wants. Uh, not even, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not that strategic person, right? But just out of curiosity, because it's 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 really like I'm genuinely interested just to see your type of people are attracted to the content or are attracted to the profile and what is the reason behind it? Because uh, it's it's so diverse. You can't very often you can't really get the right trends in place straight away. So it's it's interesting just to do that. I mean, you know, I I would never say that I could predict like who's going to become wildly popular and influential or any of those sorts of things. I can't really predict all that. However, you know, if you're thinking about just yourself personally, I have seen so many people be successful in just being themselves, but being experts in something, right? So, you know, that's, I had the pleasure of working with Martha Stewart, you know, who has a certain personality here in the U.S. And, you know, she's kind of, she obviously predates the internet with the beginnings of her business and all that, but she's also yeah. really great on the internet. She knows how to work, you know, her particular expertise on lifestyle and food and, you know, whatever. And, and people yeah. love it. Right. I mean, but it's really her, if she were talking about something that had nothing to do with all that stuff, it might not work, but somehow 
it works, right? So maybe, you know, she's not the freshest example, but I, I like people like this who have like an expertise, who share it and who have a personality and you can kind of dive in or not. If they, if they don't have that, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's much harder route to, to, you know, it's an uphill battle if, if they don't have that kind of, you know, creating the thing. And these days I kind of feel that uh, even for tech startups, the personality and the personal brand of the founder is very important mm -hmm. because, uh, first of all, there aren't many personal brands behind tech startup founders because most of them are tech-centric and kind of very focused on building whatever they are building and on, on, on the business side of it. And most of them prefer not to be you know, so public mm -hmm. uh, themselves. Uh, so they'd rather just hire a person who would, you know, do the, the thing instead. Uh, but I feel like that is something that shouldn't really be outsourced. I, I really feel like the founder's personality is, uh, I mean, I personally very often choose similar brands by who whose founder do I want to support more? If you know, if they have similar services and like it's not a huge difference in, in user experience for me, mm -hmm. I'd rather support someone that I've seen and I liked and I would like to support personally because I've I've seen the personality behind it, right? I've seen mm -hmm. the person behind it. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not the way, I mean, maybe it's not really the right way to go, but I feel like many people feel, keep start feeling that way these days. So I, what do I you think, think about right. that? I, I do think you're right, but I think there's also one other piece to this. You know, having, and this sounds kind of weird, but I'll just say it, to have a personality as a brand, as, an, as a tech company, you don't need it to have it about one person. Uh, you can have a yeah. personality, uh, you know, about what the company stands for, what they're really about. Like think of Tom's shoes or Bombas socks or, you know, again, outside yeah. of tech, but they have personalities because of what yeah. they do, you know, and you could do that in tech too. I, I've known some really amazing people, but they set up like their family, you know, their approach in that startup, you know, and everybody is of the same mindset. They're really thinking about the same things. And that's very special. And and you want to try to do that. You don't want to be alone, you know, in your idea. You want people to be around you with the same idea. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that's that's important uh, point, because when brands don't stand for something and they don't really share their values or kind of illustrate their values, it's very hard to resonate because mm -hmm. you're, you're eventually comparing your values to the brand's values and, and kind of, you know, either feel related or you don't. Uh, so I think that's why Facebook has such controversial reactions around the brand and uh, even, you know, Mark himself as a personal brand have all these issues because many people feel like their personal ethical compass is not really in line with, with theirs, right? And uh, I mean, nevertheless, we keep using Facebook, right? So like ultimately it doesn't really bring such a big problem for the company because we you know, all feel, you know. <laughs> it's a funny, it's a funny, funny thing though, because I had a conversation with some uh, some folks in tech about Facebook recently because of the boycotts and you know these other things that are going on. And you know, we were talking about how and, and again, you might 
know this and a lot of viewers might or might not, but, you know, LinkedIn is older than Facebook, right? So I've been on LinkedIn for 16 years, right? This is something that's weird, but it's true. I've been on for 16 years. It but you probably just had your profile up and that was it, right? No, actually, I was, uh, I've used it in many different ways, many different times. I've gotten jobs through it. I've used it to, you know, to get leads, you know, in a way that some people do. Uh, Now, I really, it's just my, you know, it's for fun more than a lot of other things. I really enjoy it. But it's 16 years. But the the point, though, is that it predates Facebook. It predates Twitter. Uh, You know, what when also what predated Facebook in its space, MySpace, what predated MySpace, Friendster. You know, there is room for someone to come in with something that people feel better about and all of a sudden mm-hmm. millions of people will download that app and move so i don't feel like you you must stay with facebook i don't feel like anybody must do anything if you have a compelling you know alternative yeah. then people will go there if look what's happening with TikTok, with you know with the potential bans and all this kind of stuff there are yeah. so many downloads of anything that's an alternative to TikTok. it's astounding by the millions so people people will move Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's true. I mean, the, I, I guess it's it's the the biggest challenge for these kind of networks is getting the first uh, initial traction, and then if you're good enough and and big enough crowd have tried you out, then the word of mouth will kind of you know do the marketing for you and bring people in mm-hmm. uh, because you're you're always more inclined to try something out a product or service if, if your friend said that they used it and they loved it at least you will check it out right for sure so um, and and then on the other hand like sometimes I feel like oh no I don't need yet another app or yet another platform I'm already almost everywhere um, but but then you know, at least from the curiosity perspective, you just want to check it out. And then, uh, I mean, it, it was the same with LinkedIn. It's been around for so long. Um, I've I've been on it for a while, uh, but I never used it. For mm-hmm. me, it was, um, and I had this kind of feeling against LinkedIn um, because when I left corporate, I was extremely anti-corporate i mean I'm, I'm i'm not so much now but for me like everything like you know all these uh business suits all these kind of corporate setup and everything else was something that i was trying to avoid at, at all costs um and linkedin was for me like had this image of of just you know the illustration of a corporate network mm-hmm. and uh which it's not anymore but you still get these comments saying oh but this is not facebook like you know how are you using this network it's not facebook uh so uh, but i feel like it it got it became more vibrant because probably people started using it as facebook because people started creating content on LinkedIn because it, it became more uh, sort of, you know, it's not static anymore. Our profiles are mini blogs, our profiles are kind of mini live streams and whatever it is becoming. So it's, it starts populating with, with, with uh, leaving and moving um, components probably. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I mean, you've been around for much longer here on, on this platform. How do you feel on, about LinkedIn? I, I feel like it's gone through, you know, many phases at this point. And, uh, you know, most of it, most of it makes sense. I, I, in some ways, I'm surprised it hasn't evolved even more 
uh, you know, because mm -hmm. the, the basic structure of it all uh, has changed so little uh, over yeah. the years. So it's added in, you know, more features and more functions, but, but it really hasn't dramatically changed, except as you pointed out by, you know, the folks who have joined more recently and the type of content that they're posting. And, you know, I don't usually get into the argument about, you know, it shouldn't be Facebook. You know, to me, that's, if people want to use it, they, they use it. And if it doesn't work for them, then they're not going to you know, do that again. They're going to do something else. So for me, I, I think it is good professionally for me. I think it's good personally for me. And uh, if I want to get business through Facebook, I do. And if I want to use it for, you know, just personal reasons to stay in touch with people or to connect with new great people like yourself, then I do. Right. I mean, that's, that's where the position I am in my career. So I'm not so you have the like, choice. Yeah, you know, like right out of college saying I've got to use it in a certain way. I'm just, you know, at that phase right now where it's like I make I have a choice, I can just decide how to use it at any given time. Okay, you mentioned if I want to get a business from LinkedIn, I can. Mm -hmm. And we all know many gurus who haven't been on LinkedIn for so long, uh, who are actually teaching exactly that, how to get leads and how to get business from LinkedIn. Uh, and obviously, we, we both know that startups usually have smaller budgets, startups can't really kind of do most of the things that are uh, really kind of paid marketing related stuff. And they are more inclined into trying to growth hack and have more organic efforts. Um, so for a startup founder or, you know, who who is using this platform, um, are there any sort of free ways to to build something that would bring in business and and customers and uh, awareness of of the new brand? Yeah, there are. I mean, I think that. And again, I do not like terms like guru, you know, anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't either. I, do not. Uh, I always use them. With, with, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but but the way the way that I view this and the people I personally know who've done well. You know, they they have their core message down. They really understand their core message. Like, um, here's a, another person, and uh, he's in a food category, like a healthy food category. Uh, but if you know Mark Samuel on on LinkedIn, I I love mentioning him. He has, he started a company called I One W O N Organics, and you know it could have just gotten lost. You know, doing great product, but. You know, there are millions of companies that do stuff like this, but he has such a compelling personality, you know, mm -hmm. really a literal personality online. He writes about what business is like day to day, how tough it is uh, personally, how, you know, what, what a real successes are like. Uh, it's very genuine and mm -hmm. people follow him and they get participated. And when he puts a call out, he'll put a call out and say, how do I get into I'll make it up target, right? Or something, he'll name something. And people will respond and say, well, here's the person I know and here's yeah. how it's done. And I want, I'm going to DM you their phone number and please use my name. So he has that kind of a reputation now. That is something that people in a lot of different categories for a lot of different kinds of tech businesses and non-tech businesses build up. And those are the ones I see who are most successful. It's not 
like how do I get leads and how do I do things in you know 90 days it's more that organic yeah Uh, it's like I had that when I was you know I was writing and publishing my books uh like um I'll teach you how to write a book in 10 days and I'm like okay yeah fine (laughs) true Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but yeah well you mentioned something that is actually it always works but it's one of the scariest thing in the world you mentioned about uh i mean by by saying that he 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 shared uh he was very transparent right Mm -hmm. by being transparent and by being open and by showing vulnerability um you know it always works but it's it's very scary many people Mm -hmm. are kind of you know it's um it's people say that live streaming is scary but i think that is a, a you know, scarier than, than a live stream. It's mm-hmm. completely different level of opening up to a crowd of people you don't know uh, without predicting the reactions and, and sort of, um, yeah, bringing them into your life, right? Which is, uh, again, like many people feel different comfort limits to how, how much they can open up. But I, I have felt like those who who have like who have stretched their limits get exactly that because that it's the probably it's the fastest way to create relationships right they it, they start trusting you because you open up it is and and you know what i would say to again to all of the viewers and listeners is that it's not it's not like you have to share personal trauma uh, you do not yeah. have to share you know things that are are really private i think the point is that you need to be sharing things that are real and genuine, even if it's just about the business. Like, you know, talking about how you're putting in so much time that it is, uh, you know, tough to balance work and life. You know, that's yeah. something a lot of people can relate to and they understand it immediately. Like they, they can latch on to it and understand it immediately. You don't have to talk about like a health issue or, you know, something else that, that you don't want to share. You know, so some people just put it all out there. And, you know, it's, it's there for everyone to you know, to talk about openly and to learn from and to learn together. Others, you know, they'll hold other things back and they want to just focus on the business. But I think the, the real success is from just opening up and sharing other folks, you know, that I work with, uh, you know, in different types of, uh, you know, businesses, like I mentioned Trellis, you know, it's an e-commerce agency. Uh, the CEO is this guy, Isaiah Bollinger. Uh, you know, he talks about what it's like to get clients, what it's like with, when things get rocky with a big client, what it's, you know, things that are real, right? I mean, everyone yeah. can understand these things and it's not like anyone's dissing a client, right? I mean, think of it that way too. You're not, you're just saying this is real. These things happen and let's all talk about it together as a community. People respect that and, and they, they want to be around you if you're talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I, I kind of uh, uh, probably the, the 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 right way to look at this is basically just getting. Uh, first of all, I mean, I always say there is no magic button. There is no kind of you know magic recipe that you just take and copy from from the people who have made it. Because yeah. I feel like, first of all, you can never be them. 
So the personality mixture and personality, personal side of things is something you can't copy because you can't be someone else. Uh, the second is very often there are so many different uh, reasons that they succeeded, right? Maybe what they, even if you copy the same strategy, maybe the strategy doesn't work anymore because many people are doing it already and he was the first one to figure it out. And, you know, or, or maybe it's, I mean, there are so many different variations. You can't really go and, and look at a person who had you know in he, whose shoes you want to be and you go and copy everything and and hope that you're going to get the same results 10 people will do exactly the same thing 10 people will get different results and i feel like that personality factor is is very important because people i mean it's 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 just in real life we don't we pick our friends right we don't like absolutely everyone and very often we are very irrational in terms of who we chose when when you know when we are asked about uh, uh, explanations or you know uh, reasons uh, sometimes it's just a gut feeling sometimes it's just you know you like the vibe sometimes it's common interest or whatever it is right yeah. uh, you may understand like that the other person on linkedin i mean i i i have seen many profiles on linkedin who who produce valuable you know we keep talking about you have to provide value right um but valuing people's mind for different people is different thing right so if you, we look at value saying you provide valuable content in terms that it's useful it provides some knowledge it provides tips or whatever it is right again i know many people who are doing that and who have amazingly valuable content from that respect right Mm -hmm. But I just don't like their vibe. I don't mm -hmm. like them as persons, right? So I do know that if I follow them and if I read that stuff, it's going to be useful. And I know that probably it will be easier just to follow them and make notes and get more tips in, in a week than following many different people and getting the same thing in four weeks. Uh, but I just won't follow them because it's just, you know, I don't want them negative experience i don't want to get annoyed while i'm getting that value right so yeah. the price of annoyance versus value is something that i don't want to trade off right i'd rather just i don't know i mean how do you feel about that because uh, well, i know it, it's not it, programmatic right no no i mean so well it, it, you brought up a couple really really great points i mean one is that you know first i just want to address what you said about there's no you know one formula you're right about 10 people doing 10 things and their circumstances are all going to be different. So, yeah. you know, you can't say that I've, I've got the rule book and I'm going to follow it and that's it because that's not the way these things work. But the second thing you said too about like, you know, annoyance and all of that, there are folks that I just can't follow and I don't want to read their posts. And I don't want to see their videos. And, you know, it's not, it's not even their point of view. Sometimes it's just them and, and that's okay. Right. I, yeah. I just, you know, admit that. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, out in the world on LinkedIn and sometimes I'll look at their posts and I'm like, you know, that's not, not what I want to see today. Other people are just pure motivators. Right. I mean, so real motivators, like, I don't know if you know a guy named Brian Shulman. I've had the pleasure of you know, meeting him and talking with him and working with him. And, and, but he's just a motivating guy. Like if I see that he's posting something, it's usually pretty good. You know, you just want to you feel good, right? You just want to see it. Or, or maybe we both know Luke Matthews. You know, Luke, I really yeah. want to see his post because he has the sense of humor, you know, yeah. along with potentially something valuable in that post. 
and that's a great mix for me. You know, I want I want a lot of different things, and I get it from a lot of different you know influencers, a lot of different people out there. But you know, sometimes I just and I don't want to name them all, but sometimes I just say, "Oh no, I can't read that. I'm not I'm not going to be yeah. happy if I read that." No, no, <laughs> we're not going to name those. But yeah. uh, we started from lead generation, uh, yeah. and it's. Uh, uh, I, I'm always an advocate of selling without selling. So I'd, mm -hmm. I'd always rather have someone approach me about something rather than me going out and, and, and sort of implying s by my stuff. I mean, I, I don't even have anything to sell at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, re it's not really relevant either. But mm -hmm. um, it's very uncomfortable for me to be very direct in terms of. Um, asking for business right mm -hmm. um and very often i do realize that if i did uh, it would work probably mm -hmm. right uh, but it just feels very uncomfortable and sometimes the audience kind of just wants that direct sort not instruction but like direct request so they know exactly what they need to do right mm -hmm. sometimes like even just like leave a comment or click the link or whatever it is it it sounds obvious it seems obvious to us but sometimes just just need that direct kind of mm -hmm. request um how do you balance that so it's not really you know you're not missing too many opportunities because you're too humble versus you know you don't go out there all in and become this uh, egocentric person who's who's closing trying to close with every single content piece it's uh, i think there are uh, a couple options one of the options is uh you know it really is having a reputation that you've built up you know that it mm -hmm. takes a little bit of time it's not something that happens in five minutes but but i do get people who simply reach out and they say uh what do you think of this? Is this something you can do? Or do you know someone that you would recommend, right? That happens a lot. I mean, all the time. And that's real, right? I mean, that is absolutely yeah. real, but you can't do it in five minutes. I couldn't just sign up on LinkedIn and expect it. And so that's one thing. The second thing I would say, though, about, you know, leads, I am not a fan anymore of the very direct, like, cold mm -hmm. message. I'm not a fan of that anymore. And the reason I say that is that I've had great experience in just producing content for clients that does get leads, you know, very direct content. And again, I, I probably can't name this client, but a very big uh, cybersecurity company, one of the biggest in the world. I had the pleasure of working on some projects with them. And we ended up uh, creating all sorts of lead generation, you know, uh, uh, projects uh, for them. Uh, and mostly what was happening was it was very specific communities, again, that we were building up this great content for video and written and other content. Uh, and then those people would read that, get engaged, get excited, and then they would end up somewhere and they would learn more about signing up for these cybersecurity products, right? But it was very mm -hmm. genuine, right? It's very yeah. genuine. It's like, this is what can help you as an educator. This is what can help you as a yeah. grandparent worrying about her grandkids. Those are, you know, it's that specific, right? So to me, those are two approaches that work. You know, one is build up that expertise and it takes a little time as a company or an individual, and then people will be contacting you and you don't have to go crazy worrying about it. And the second thing is, you know, build all of this great content that has value for people in particular communities and you will get leads that way. That works.
Okay, got it. Building the expertise, we, we know it takes time. I mean, it's obvious. Uh, but uh, what are the steps? Like, how, how do you build that expertise? Like, what needs to be done in order? Because you, you may spend that time doing the wrong things, right? And it will still not work. So what you should put your time and effort to in order to, to build that expertise to get to that stage? Well, I think that uh, I always tell people, like I mentor people in um, business school programs and in, in colleges. And mm -hmm. when I talk about this, I say, you know, it, it, tell me two or three things that really you're excited about. And I don't judge, right? It could be anything. Could, could mm -hmm. be, even though they're in business school, it could be, say, they could say music, they could say art, they could say theater, they could say gardening, it could say anything, right? Well, artists then, do need business knowledge as well, I think, more well, than exactly. anyone else. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that is a genuine step, though, that everyone needs to ask themselves or whoever they're you know, talking to about this. It's like, you got to find something that is it's real, that you're passionate about. And then you start building around that. Like, well, if you're passionate about it, what does it mean? It means that you're learning as much as you possibly can and that you're participating in something, right? So you become an expert in a particular kind of music, you know, because you follow all these folks and you're really into it. And then, you know, maybe you get to the point where, you know, you know people's booking agents and you know how you know concerts work and how music's recorded and you know you become you funnel yourself in these areas and you mm -hmm. learn learn and learn for me you know i i was in retail at one point i was a retail exec uh, you know i had a printing business that was a tech thing uh, i was in early e-commerce starting in the first dot-com boom in 99 you know and then since then lots and lots of e-commerce and digital marketing but i keep building on this you know i could credibly talk about AI and machine learning applications, right, for commerce. I could credibly do that because I try to really keep up on it. And that's what yeah. I think people need to do. It's like, if you're passionate about something, don't stop. Keep going. Yeah. You know? Keep going and you can build up that expertise. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So uh, I guess on this positive note, uh, encouraging everyone to keep learning because with this full speed of uh, how fast the technology is moving, uh, I think that you will never have a lack of stuff to learn. Definitely. It's just about choosing what you're really passionate about and what you would like to pick to learn. But there will always be stuff that will be happening. And uh, I, I guess it's uh, you have to learn in order to keep up and let a lot like learn even more in order to sort of succeed and, and exactly. go hard. Uh, and I always encourage people to learn in, in you know, it's it's good to to be a niche expert, but I'd you know, I, 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 you shouldn't stay narrow-minded. Like, you know, if you are about AI and if you are about marketing, it's always nicer to, to also read few fiction books or to also look into completely different spheres because the, the, what I have discovered from different spheres, you can have um, different things that you could bring into the sphere you are at. Like, uh, you know, from, from my fiction writing experience, I'm bringing loads of storytelling related stuff to marketing mm -hmm. or, you know, from, from this podcasting thing, 
it, it was enough to have the right foundation and basic knowledge of, of the things that now is so popular, which are virtual events, right? Setting up virtual events uh, for someone who's been doing this, it's, it's relatively easy and, and less things to figure out from scratch um, and things like that. So it's, um, there's always things from different spheres that you can bring in. And, and and I think mixing it up is where your strengths will appear because you know that that spectrum of knowledge uh, it's unique to your to you. So figuring out how to use those things together maybe is a way to differentiate probably in this industry. I agree. I agree. So yeah, keep learning, keep reading, uh, because I think like reading, especially fiction these days, is so underrated. I do, I do understand that there are lots of uh, crappy books out there as well. So choosing and finding the right ones is hard as well. But but still, I, I think that's another way to just detach from the reality and also get some new knowledge as well. Okay, well, it was really a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks a lot. I think we we kind of provoked few thoughts for, for our listeners and viewers. So. So. Um, so I think there is a lot to go on and reflect about. Um, so hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Uh, thanks a lot. Um, Subscribe and leave a review if you haven't done so yet. Um, and yeah, we'll meet you in the next episode. And I'll be in touch with you, obviously. So um, take care. Thank you so much, Annie. It's been a pleasure. Mm -hmm.